Hey, and thanks for tuning in to the Father's House podcast. The Father's House exists to see people discover life in Jesus. We hope that today's message brings you fresh life and renewed hope as you listen. Enjoy. All right, are you guys ready for the word? Someone say yes. It's going to be fun today. Uh, we have been in a series for the last five weeks entitled 23 and Me. And if you are new to the church, uh, fear not. This is not where we take your blood sample and determine where you came from and go through your genealogy. Uh, we've been talking about one of the most famous portions of Scripture, most quoted portions of Scripture in the Bible, Psalms chapter 23. How many have enjoyed this series thus far? Okay. 60% of you, that's great. Thanks for enduring for the rest of you. That's awesome. Uh, today we are going to conclude it, and uh, I want to start the same way we've started every week, although last week we did it a little bit differently, and I, I want to kind of mimic that again. I'm going to have all of us read the entire psalm out together, because it's a little short one. It's like six verses. You up for that? All right, let's read it out. Psalms chapter 23, starting in verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not be afraid for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me. In the presence of my enemies, you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. So in the last couple of weeks, we've talked about the first five verses. Today, we're going to conclude in that final verse that, Galami, I don't know if you even knew this or not, you sang out earlier, so that's prophetic. Jesus obviously wanted us to talk about it. Uh, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Someone say, surely. Surely. Such a confident statement by David. It is a, a statement of assurance. He's not in any way doubting that God's goodness and his mercy are for him and that they will follow him every single day he has breath in his lungs. Good day, bad day, he knows the goodness of God and the mercy of God are going to follow me and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That is an amazing promise and I want every single person in this room to be convinced of that before we leave today. I want us to be sure of it. I don't know about you, but there's a lot of things in my life that I, I am not sure of, okay? Uh, I'm not sure if the Warriors can win another basketball game this season. <laughs> I'm not. I'm going to be honest with you. I had like four people come up and jab me this morning. I'm like, you know that I'm not actually a part of the team. Like, I'm a fan, but they're like, ha, 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 you suck. And I'm like, okay, whatever. I'm not sure if uh, the pants I'm wearing are too skinny for a guy my age. Um, I'm not sure if I have one, too, you know, like when there's like one too many buttons and you don't know if you should go up one or down one, anyone else have that problem? I might be showing a little too much off today, but I just don't know. I'm not sure of it. I'm not sure who half the gentlemen on the walls are here in our building. Uh, there's a lot in my life I'm not sure of, but if there's something I want to be confident, assured of, it is that God's goodness and his mercy are for me. They're going to follow me. They will chase me down every day I'm on this planet. And that when I die and I look Jesus in his eyes, he's going to say to me, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy that's set before you and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Come on, anyone else want to be confident of that today? Anyone else want to be assured of that today? And I think that's what the Holy Spirit wants to do in our hearts. So let me pray and we'll get into this. And uh, if you're taking notes, which I suggest you do, um, the title of this chat is Can Mercy Make It Here? 
Can mercy make it here? Ooh, I know. Someone already said, ooh, ooh. <laughs> it should be good. Let's go. Father, we love you today. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for the opportunity to gather with people who have found you and you have found them. And we've found life, not just in this place, but it's in this relationship we have with you. And so today, as we go to your word, I pray that you would do what you've promised that it would be more than a man speaking over a microphone, but Holy Spirit, it would be you speaking to every single heart and that you would go between bone and marrow, soul and spirit, that you would cut right to the heart of where we're living and that you would transform us by the power of your word before we leave this place today. I ask that anyone in this room that would doubt whether or not goodness and mercy can make it to them, that they would be assured before they, they walk out the threshold of the Scottish Rite building on a Sunday morning that you are for them, you're with them, and you are chasing them down today in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen. Uh, let me ask a, a question. How many of you have ever been asked to follow somebody that was difficult to follow? I don't mean that like metaphorically, just for the record. Like I don't mean like a really aggressive leader or you know, a difficult boss to follow or something like that. Uh, David, you just raised your hand and then put it down, which is awesome. Thank you. Okay, David works for us, so that's cool. Um, <laughs> uh, but I mean like literally hard to follow. Have you ever been in a situation like this where somebody says to you, hey, there's too many people to fit in one car, so I'd like you to follow me in the other car. And then the person who's leading in the car seems to have forgotten the moment they sat down in the driver's seat that somebody's following them. And yeah, I've been in that situation before. Like they're weaving through traffic and they're speeding through yellow lights and they forget about you. Just me. Okay. Um, how about, uh, have you ever been asked like, to go on a run with somebody and you're not a runner? Anyone else? Okay. <laughs> like you got a 10K runner or marathon runner. Like, hey, come on a 10-mile run with me. That sounds fun. And you're like, okay. Uh, and so you try to keep up, but they're not willing to sacrifice their own workout. And so they just kind of speed up ahead of you and you vomit uncontrollably on the side of the path. It's never happened to me. I'm just throwing out some thoughts for consideration today. Um, I remember, uh, as many of you know, I, I've mentioned this in a, in a summer or two before, uh, I used to have a motorcycle license, and uh, I begged my wife for like five years to let me get a motorcycle, and she said no, and uh, finally she let me a few years ago, and I bought a motorcycle, and I rode it, and I never crashed it, thank you, Jesus, uh, but then when I got here, I realized it's just the, the weather's not great enough for it, and I didn't ride it enough, so I sold it, uh, to the joy of many people that were concerned that I might kill myself on a motorcycle out here in San Francisco, so I don't own a motorcycle any longer, but um, when I first got my motorcycle, a few, few months afterwards, I was invited to go on a ride with a, a number of the guys from the church. And uh, they said, hey, you know, 7 o'clock, we'll all jump on our bikes in the evening. Uh, it's a warm summer night. We'll cruise up and go get some dinner about 30 miles from here, and then we'll all come back. And I'm the new guy, and these guys have all been riding for a little while. And I'm like, yes, I'm a part of the gang. It's going to be great. So I show up, and I'm clearly the new guy because everybody else is, like, in shorts and, like, short sleeve shirts and, you know, flip-flops on their bike. And I, like, I'm still following the rules as the new rider. Like, I'm decked out head to toe, like, in leather with a big old helmet and, you know, the gloves on, like, terrified that I'm to hurt myself. Uh, anything but training wheels on the bike, I guess. But I, I get on the motorcycle with the rest of these guys and we start cruising through uh, the town and they're, you know, you know, those obnoxious motorcycle guys that are like, they pull up next to you at the stoplight and they're, <laughs> you know, that I was that guy for a moment. It was pretty cool. It was awesome. And so everything's fine and I'm keeping up and looking like I'm a part of the, the crew um, until we get to the freeway. And then the second we get to the freeway, all of a sudden, it's like something switched in the minds of all these riders. And immediately, they were like in a chase scene from like an action movie. Like they just start weaving through traffic, and they were going well above the posted speed limits on the highway. 
and I, as the new guy, was terrified to keep up. I tried for a moment, and I'm like, this is just not worth it. Like, in the back of my head, I'm going, okay, I have a couple of daughters at home that would like their dad to be alive and to have both of his legs, and so I need to, like, I need to just follow the rules. So I kind of hang back, and I just think to myself, ah, it's no big deal. I'll, I'll meet them up at the restaurant. So I cruise at a comfortable, you know, 55 or so just to make sure that I don't get hurt. I pull up to the restaurant about 20 minutes after the rest of these guys have shown up. And all their bikes are like parked together on one side of the lot. And there's no room for me. <laughs> and so I park my bike, you know, on the other side of the lot and throw my helmet off. And, you know, I'm walking into the restaurant, kind of ashamed of the fact that I couldn't keep up with everybody else. And I was expecting to get razzed by everybody there. But I walked in and something worse happened. They didn't make fun of me. They had actually forgotten about me. <laughs> I walk up to the table and there's no seat for me. And someone who will remain nameless, uh, my pastor, Pastor Dave, uh, <laughs> he's like, oh, Biddle, we forgot you were coming, man. That's my bad. And I'm like, thank you, shepherd Pastor Dave that looks after his flock, you know. I appreciate you making sure I wasn't dead on the side of a road as I followed you in your 90 mile an hour prowess through the freeways. Like, appreciate you, buddy. It was that day that I decided to start a church in San Francisco <laughs> and uh, leave my past behind me. I couldn't keep up. I couldn't follow. I think that sometimes many of us find ourselves feeling like that is how the goodness and the mercy of God follow us. Like it seems to have a hard time keeping up. We find ourselves in seasons where all of a sudden, we're like, where did the goodness go? And, and where's this mercy that God promised? And like, I've been waiting here for a little bit of time, and I, I don't actually see the promises of God's word coming to pass in my life. I'm just kind of here looking at my watch and the spirit going, God, did you, did you forget that like you promised you were going to do some good stuff for me, that I was a candidate for your mercy? Like, where are we at on the spectrum? I think that's often how Christians can process seasons of life that don't make sense. In fact, maybe even if mercy and goodness showed up, you've already gone about life yourself and tried to put the dots together yourself and there's not even room at the table for it anymore because you've sort of figured out how to function without the goodness and the mercy of God in your life. I don't know about you, but I found myself in some seasons where I feel like I'm just looking at the watch going, God, are you gonna be here anytime soon? Like, I prayed the prayer, you didn't answer yet. I tithed, there's no windows of heaven open. I knocked, no doors are opening. I sought, I'm not finding. I asked, I, I just don't, don't see the answers yet. Anybody else ever felt like they've been in one of those seasons before? Yeah. And so I'm looking up in the scripture what some of the words mean in, in the Hebrew, and it was almost ironic and comical that this word follow in the Hebrew doesn't bear with it any connotation of waiting. In fact, here's, here's what it means. It's radaf, and it means to be in aggressive pursuit to chase you down, to be like right behind you on your heels. In fact, one application of the word is like, it's attached to me. God's goodness and his mercy are chasing me down. They're attached to me. They're right on my heels. <laughs> but where? Like, I, I just, I haven't felt it in a while. I, I feel like there's a disconnect between this promise and what I'm experiencing. Or, or maybe that's not your story. 
Maybe your story is similar to many other people's, which is I'm not actually wondering where the goodness and mercy of God went because I left them a long time ago. <laughs> I'm a part of the gang that signed, like sped up and moved ahead of everybody else. And I kind of went down my own path and did my own thing for a season. And now I find myself in a situation, in a relationship, in a season of my own volition, of my own doing. And I, I know that the goodness and mercy are back there in a season that I, I left God in a long time ago. And your declaration is perhaps a little bit different than David's. Instead of it being, surely goodness and mercy will follow me. Like, surely goodness and mercy probably cannot make it here <laughs> to where I'm at right now. Like, if I take a few steps backwards and I chase it down, maybe, but... Where I'm currently at, I just don't see them making it to me. I think even no better well-doing Christians can find themselves in seasons where we ask ourselves questions like this. How far is God willing to follow me down this trail? How willing is he to chase me down? Let me explain to you what I mean. Um, Dom and Ati, I talked to you guys beforehand. Can I borrow you on stage real quick? Uh, these guys are also engaged. Everyone's getting engaged, okay? It's just a thing happening around here in case you're interested. No pressure. Actually, all the pressure. Um, there you go. You're going to be goodness. You're going to be mercy. I think, I think often we find ourselves wondering where these two are willing to follow. Let me explain. Perhaps you're in a season where you're like, okay, I'm getting stuff right. Like, I'm I'm going after God. I, I'm, I've been out of church for a little while, but I finally came back. And, you know, I, I lifted my hands a little bit during worship. And I'm reading a little bit of the Bible. And I'm praying. And I'm doing my best to kind of follow Jesus in this season. Okay, well, if I'm doing well, then that makes sense for goodness and mercy to follow me, right? I mean, that's logical. Like, God's goodness, his mercy for me. Yeah. <laughs> Did you just do a little one of these on once? <laughs> like a couple of one of those? Okay, that's great. It's good. Like, it makes sense for them to follow me there. Or I was in this really toxic relationship and, you know, it kind of pulled me out of church for a season because we were doing stuff we shouldn't have been doing. And, you know, that's another story. But um, now I broke up with him. I broke up with her. And we're finally, you know, in a good place. And now I'm, I'm back on ChristianMingle.com and I'm looking for, you know, the right one. And, like, I'm going for it and it's going to be great. And, like, okay, now since I'm doing the right thing, goodness and mercy, you know, they can follow me there. Like, it makes sense that God's goodness and mercy will come to these places where I'm pursuing God and I'm a candidate for mercy. But what about those seasons where you're not? What about, man, I've invested for 20 years in this addiction. And I've made some decisions I shouldn't have. I've drank some stuff I shouldn't have. I've looked at some stuff I shouldn't have. And I kind of wandered away from Jesus. I'm pretty sure they can't follow me here. Or... I've been in this marriage for five years, but I've been unhappy for four and a half of it. And so I've kind of wandered away from my spouse a little bit. And there's this relationship at work that's gotten slightly inappropriate. And we started texting some stuff to each other. And one thing led to the other the other day. And there was some unfaithfulness. Like, can God's goodness and mercy follow me there into my unfaithfulness, into my season of adultery? Like, they should probably just stay there because there's no way they can make it here, right? I know that this sounds like a little bit weird and it's quiet. <laughs> but that's how so many people think. So often we wonder like, okay, at what point do these two 
stop following me? Or, or let me ask it like this. Is there ever a point where God's goodness and his mercy unfollow? <laughs> you guys can take a seat. Thank you. Give it up for these guys. You can take your video. Yeah, you can keep them. Use them later. I don't know. Do God's goodness and his mercy ever unfollow me? Let me appeal to the millennials in the room for just a moment. There's probably nothing worse than an unfollow, right? Like, <laughs> and some of you are so insecure that you got that weird app that tells you when people unfollow you. <laughs> as if there wasn't enough to be insecure about, okay? Let's go ahead and add that to my life. I, I told you before, Robin and I were youth pastors for many years, and... Um, Social media, particularly Instagram, is a great tool as a youth pastor because you can see literally where people are living at all times. It's great. Like I can look at a student's Instagram handle and, and discover right away whether or not, you know, they're truly serving Jesus. <laughs> like it's not hard to figure it out after a little while. And uh, so we would follow all of our students and we'd follow all of our leaders and kind of keep tabs on them because, you know, we're big brother and that's what you're supposed to do as a, as a, as a youth pastor. And uh, we are not youth pastors any longer, but we still follow a number of our old students on social media. And so you get to see them kind of grow up and get married and have kids now. And, you know, it's fun. We comment and go back and forth. Um, but this might come as a shock to you. Not every single one of the students that were in our youth ministry is still following Jesus today. I know. It's their parents' fault, not their pastor's fault. But um, <laughs> occasionally I'll be on Instagram and I'll be scrolling around. And one of our old students or, you know, one of the people we used to follow, they will post something that's slightly inappropriate or vulgar and I kind of look at that and wince a little bit. And because I'm a little sensitive in those areas, um, I immediately take measures into my hands to ensure that that doesn't show up on my feet any longer. So because of the insecure people out there that find out when people unfollow them, I try not to unfollow all the time. I just hit the little mute stories and posts button so that they still feel like I'm following them, even though I'm not really following them anymore. And you know, occasions like, hey, did you see what I posted? And I'm like, absolutely I did. Yeah, I didn't, I muted you a long time ago because you're inappropriate. But every once in a while, somebody will post something so bad, so inappropriate, that I don't even care if they find out if I unfollowed them. I just hit the little button. I'm like, take that. You know, that's, that's about as aggressive as we get as millennials now. <laughs> take that. <laughs> I unfollowed you. <laughs> like, if it's bad enough, I'm willing to unfollow. Is that how God's goodness and his mercy work? Is there a point at which they say, I'm sorry, I just can't follow you there anymore? Like, it's gotten bad enough. I was willing to just kind of sweep it under the rug, but you've gotten to the point where you've made some decisions, you've dug yourself a ditch that is so deep, I cannot make it there any longer. Can God's goodness make it through 20 years of addictive behavior? Can his mercy Go beyond something that you've dug for yourself, a season of unfaithfulness or whatever, fill in the blank. David seems to think it can. David, the author of Psalms chapter 23, David, the lying, cheating, murdering, sexual assailant, shepherd boy turned king, seems to think that God's goodness and his mercy can make it regardless of how far or how deep you've gotten into the midst of your mess. He says, Surely, surely God's goodness and his mercy shall follow me all of my days. How many of your days? All of your days. 
Not just the days where you lay your head on a pillow and you go, man, I crushed it today. I'm such a Christian today. I read my Bible. I gave that guy on the side of the street five bucks. I am serving Jesus. Look at me go. I'm talking about the days where you lay your head on a pillow and you're like, I am such an idiot. How did I do that again? I promised God I would never go down that road. And here I am back in the middle of the mess that I created for myself. Even those days, all of my days, his goodness and his mercy shall follow me. How can David make such a confidently audacious statement? Better yet, let me ask it like this. How am I, how are you, supposed to make that kind of a confident statement when I start tallying up all of my mistakes, all of my shortcomings, all of my failures, my own report card? How am I supposed to confidently look myself in the mirror and say, surely God's goodness and mercy are going to follow me even though there's that? Well, let me answer that question with a question. How do you define mercy? Imagine something for a moment. Imagine you just committed the worst sin of your life. Imagine that thing that you said you'd never do, you finally did. And the second you commit it, you are whisked into heaven and you're staring Jesus face to face. Literally, did it, there you are, standing next to Jesus and you're looking at your Savior. What's the look on his face in that moment? And the way you answer that question says a lot about how you see God's mercy. Because if it's disappointment, if it's shame, if it's anger, if it's anything other than love and acceptance, you might have a skewed version of how mercy works. If mercy is something that you receive based on the fact that you are remorseful enough to clean yourself up and try to do a little bit better in this thing called Christianity, and then suddenly you arrive at a place where you become a candidate for God's mercy, that's not mercy. That's called merit. <laughs> merit says, I've done what I'm supposed to do. I've cleaned up my act. I deserve something now. And that is the fundamental basis for every dead religion on the face of this planet. Try harder, do better, sign the document, give the money, serve the thing, and then you can arrive at this place where you deserve to be called one of us. That is dead religion, and it is not mercy, and it is not the gospel. That is merit. No, mercy, on the other hand, is something that is extended when you deserve it least. In fact, when you deserve judgment, it is at that moment that mercy makes its appearance. When you deserve something that you, you've earned for yourself, you've, you've gone down the road, you've had the affair, you've gone back to the drug, whatever it is, in that moment, mercy can finally break into the midst of your situation because mercy declares, I know they deserve this, but instead they're going to get forgiveness. I know they deserve judgment, but instead they're going to get my righteousness. That's how mercy works. Mercy is not merit. No, mercy actually merits a mistake. You've got to do something terrible in order to receive mercy. And in fact, the more you've drifted, the further you've gone, the greater God's capacity to release mercy to you. It doesn't mean that you have to find your way back. It means that in the middle of the mess you've created for yourself, there you become the candidate for God's overwhelming, doesn't make sense kind of mercy. 
Now, if that sounds like really great preacher talk to make you feel a little bit better about yourself before you go away on a Sunday morning, let, let me show you how far mercy is willing to go because I think mercy might make it further than we perhaps think here this morning. 715 BC, there's a prophet by the name of Hosea. And God comes to Hosea in the midst of a situation that looks dire and he says, I want you to do something to show my people how willing I am to chase them down, how merciful I am. And here's the setting. Israel, God's people, they have all but turned their back on God at this point in their existence. They've decided to serve the gods of the nations around them. They've bowed down to the pagan gods and some of them have gone so far as to sacrifice their own children in the fire to these pagan idolatrous gods. Rough situation. Time and time again, God has warned them through other prophets and tried to bring them back to himself. But time and time again, they've said, we're not interested. We're going to continue to serve the gods of the nations around us. And so God says to Hosea, I need you to do something to display to these people the length at which I'm willing to chase them down. Okay, God, what do you want me to do? Hosea, I would like you to go marry a prostitute. I'm sorry, God, what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I need you to go marry a prostitute. Not like a retired one that's like not doing it anymore, but like an active one. Okay? Oh, and by the way, after you marry her, she's not going to stop. She's going to continue to be a prostitute. She'll become pregnant with other men seated. They will not be your children, but I need you to take responsibility for those children as if they are your own. And this will display to the people how far they've wandered from me. Isaiah says, okay, God. Because you said so. Just make sure you said this. This is not my decision, okay? Okay. So Hosea walks down into the part of the city where no holy man of God belongs, and he surveys the options, and he finds this woman named Gomer. He says, Gomer, from this point forward, I'm taking you home with me. You're going to be my wife. So Gomer gets married to Hosea. Interesting fact, Gomer, her name in the Hebrew by definition is failure. What a great name to give your kid, right? <laughs> Betty, Michelle, let's go with failure. That sounds great. Top of the list. And she lives up to her name rather quickly. They get married, and before long, Gomer's back out on the streets. She leaves Hosea at home, and she makes her way out and finds the highest bidder any given evening and makes her way home with him. Every once in a while, she comes back to the house and she graces the doorway of their home, but most nights she is in the arms of another lover while Hosea waits at the door for her, wondering, is my wife going to ever come home? One day she comes home, and Hosea notices that she's got a little, little bump under her tunic. And he starts doing the math, and he's like, when was the last time we, oh, that, that's not mine. And just about the time he's ready to bring her onto the Maury Povich show, He says, no, God told me this would happen. Not once, not twice, three times, three children. But Hosea does what God asks him. He takes responsibility for these children, and he stays married to his bride. Then one day, he, he starts doing some math, and he realizes, man, it's been about a week since Gomer came home. I hope she's Okay. And then another week passes. And then a month passes. 
And it becomes pretty obvious to Gomer that, or excuse me, to Hosea, that, that Gomer is, is not coming home anymore. She's either dead on the side of the road or she's shacked up with somebody else. And just about the time Hosea is ready to give up and find himself a more faithful, reputable bride, here's what God asks Hosea to do in Hosea chapter 3. It says, Then the Lord said to me, Go and love your wife again, even though she commits adultery with another lover. This will illustrate that the Lord still loves Israel. He still loves his people, even though the people have turned to other gods and they love to worship them. Hosea, I know that she's not interested in coming home. She's not repentant for her actions. She hasn't come to this place where she's at the end of herself saying, okay, I'm going to make my way back to my husband. I'm going I'm I'm to try more and do better and I'm going to be a good wife. No, she's actually out there still continuing to live a life of prostitution. But I want you to leave your house, your place of comfort, and I want you to chase her down to the ditch she's dug for herself and I want you to love her again. Hosea, if failure isn't willing to come back to you, then you go to failure and you show failure how far I'm willing to follow her into the middle of her mess. And so he does. Hosea gets on his horse, donkey, whatever they got, rides into the red light district again, starts searching for Gomer. Can't find her, and he's asking around, has anyone seen this woman? And no one, no one knows where she's at. And then as soon as it starts to get dark, he finds her. He sees her. And there she is on the auction block, ready to be sold off for the evening to the highest bidder. The men of the city start calling out, I'll pay this for her. I'll pay that for her. And as the bidding ensues, there's a voice from the back of the crowd that says, I'll pay whatever it takes. Doesn't matter how much it's going to cost me, I'll pay whatever I need to pay in order to get her back because tonight she's coming home with me. And Gomer looks around trying to figure out who said that and she locks eyes and sees Hosea in the back of the crowd. And you could just see the mixture of shame and shock. Like, I, I didn't know that you still cared. I figured you gave up on me a long time ago. I, I didn't realize that you would be willing to follow me this far into my mess. I don't deserve your goodness. I don't deserve your mercy. But Hosea, your goodness and your mercy, they are chasing me down in the middle of my own mess. So Hosea buys her back. And here's what it says in verse 3. Hosea bought her back for 15 pieces of silver, five bushels of barley and a measure of wine. And then I said to her, you must live with me, I love this, in my house now for many days. How many days? Many days. How about all the days 
of your life? How about you just stay here as I've rescued you from a place where you thought no one even knew where you were at? I'm bringing you back to my house. My goodness and my mercy followed you to your failure and brought you back into the house. Suddenly we are right back into Psalms chapter 23 all over again. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. How far is mercy willing to chase you down? How far is God's goodness willing to go to get you back into his house, to get you back into relationship with him again, as far as it takes? Can God's mercy meet me in the middle of what I've created for myself here? Yeah, absolutely it can. In fact, surely it shall. Can his goodness make it past all the bad decisions I've made? Here I am on a Sunday morning. I haven't been in church in years and someone drug me along here and I don't even know if... Yes, his mercy can make it to the middle of where you're at today because he's just that good and he loves you just that much. And this is not just some story recorded in scripture in the Old Testament. It is a foreshadowing of your story that Jesus painted when he went to the cross on your behalf. He left his house and chased you down here on this earth and found you in the middle of your mess for the sole purpose of extending his goodness and his mercy to you so that he could bring you back into his house. In the same way that Hosea, whose name, by the way, defined means salvation. In the same way salvation chased down failure, God can chase you down this morning and extend mercy to you in the middle of what you're facing and say there's a place at the table for you back at the house. This is the beauty of this psalm. As you know, we've gone through it in grave detail. When the sheep wandered, the shepherd brought him back. When the sheep had, had gone so far that the shepherd noticed he wasn't in the, in the pen any longer, the shepherd left his other sheep to go chase down the one that had wandered off. When the enemy was coming against the sheep, the God, the God of the universe kept him safe and prepared a table for him in the midst of his enemies. And now he says, listen, I know that you might not feel it right now and I know it might seem like you're in a season where goodness and mercy are evading you, but my goodness and my mercy will follow you all the days of your life. I've made an invitation for you to stay in the house. Please don't, don't go back out there again. My appeal to you this morning is simple. Let mercy make it to wherever you're at. Even if you don't think you're a candidate, you are. It's willing to chase you down today. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to the Father's House podcast. We hope it helped you wherever you're at in your journey. And listen, we wanna pray with you if you're going through something right now that's difficult. You can go to our website, tfh.church, and click on the prayer and praise link and tell us how to join you in prayer. Until next time, be blessed.